0: Clare FM's Beyond Belief with Stephen Fletcher.
1: It's nine o'clock on Sunday, the 3rd of March, 2024. Time for Beyond Belief. Good evening, you're very welcome. Stephen Fletcher with you for the next hour, and we have another packed programme for you. On tonight's Beyond Belief, I have a substitute coffee companion join me for a chat. And I catch up with our Vatican correspondent, Colin Flynn, after his week-long assignment reporting on the situation in Ukraine, and hear about how he will be gracing our televisions on RTE1 next week. Also, I revisit an interview I had nearly 18 months ago with Christine Hocter, the chaplain at Limerick Prison. And we have another Lenten reflection from Sister Anne Crowley. All that to come, we start with a couple of reels from the Brown family of Kilrush. Here's Miss Lyon's Fancy and My Love is on the Ocean. Welcome to Beyond Belief. That was Two Reels, Miss Lyon's Fancy and My Love is on the Ocean. And it's from a double CD called Bloom of Youth, which I bought last summer when I visited a session in the Chokkiel in Kilrush. The CDs feature an amazing group of young traditional musicians. And you heard there Colin Brown on concertina, Liam Brown on accordion and Sean Brown on banjo with Sinead Mulqueen on piano. Time for this. Here we are again,
2: happy as can be, all
1: good well, and jolly good company. Here we are again, but I've got a new guest to have a coffee with. Father Jerry didn't answer his phone, so I don't know where he's gone. But anyway, not to worry, I've got Colin Flynn, our friend Colin Flynn in the vatican at the moment in rome at the moment but he's taken time out from his busy schedule to come and have a coffee with us and Colum, it's very good to see you it's great to see you too stephen and i like that
3: father jerry is at the bingo or something apparently <laughs> and you called the backup and the backup wasn't available and you called the backup to the backup and they were busy tonight too so then i got the call and here i am having a coffee with you a virtual coffee
1: anyway i won't tell you how far down the list you were but never mind i'm <laughs> delighted to to have got you as ever it's a joy to be with you and i thought what we'll we'd do this in two parts i think i'm all the best things are done in sections and i think what we'll do chapter one i'd like to know about you as a young lad growing up in ennis and how you came to fall among radio people and TV people, of course. How did you do it? You were born in Ennis? I was born in Limerick General Hospital, but my
3: mum and dad are from Scotland, but they've been living in Ennis for donkeys years. And yeah, grew up in Ennis and went to school in Rice College and then started when I was 16 or 17 in Clare FM on Morning Focus, working as a runner, making tea and coffee. A man called Kino Shikon then was presenting Morning Focus and Mark Dumphy was the producer. So it was an incredible thing to do because you just hit the ground running, you had to do a bit of everything and they say you're bitten by the bug. I just loved everything about it from the creative storytelling side to the technical side of the audio and the broadcasting and the immediacy of it, and the intimacy of it as well. Then I studied television and radio in Dublin, and then got a job in RTE, spent a couple of years there working in Radio 1 on a couple of different shows, and presented Rising Time a bit, and yeah, did special shows. We did beautiful Christmas shows sometimes from New York, Paris, or Vienna. And then I decided, uh, after I did some work in television, today, show a Nationwide, that there's a big world out there and there's great (laughs) adventures to be had. So I moved to New York for five years, worked mainly with the BBC there, but kept my toe in with RTE, did nationwide stuff when they needed it. And then I was working with EWTN as well on the side. And then that led me to take the job in Rome, where I am
1: now. Yeah, so what sort of time span are we looking at here? So 15 or so years? More, because I started in Clare FM when I was 16,
3: 17, and now I'm 36, so you're looking at 20 years. Yeah. I'm an old man, Stephen, no! But <laughs> I said that out loud!
1: Don't start saying things like that, because I'll, I'll be forced <laughs> to tell you that you are half my age, boy. Don't you start giving me any of that.
3: Uh, (laughs) But Stephen, you're young at heart and I'm looking at you here on the monitor. You look younger than me and you sound younger and you have more energy.
1: Yeah, I don't know about (laughs) any of that. But anyway, and the good thing is we are doing this as possibly, who knows if it works. This will be a video podcast and you have the honour of being part of the first ever Stephen Fletcher video podcast. I'm not worthy, Stephen,
3: (laughs) to be here in high definition with you. Yeah. This
1: is great. So it's very good to, to see you. So we're just here having a coffee, shooting the breeze, because it's Lent, and don't you go telling Father Jerry anything other than the fact that all you had was slightly warm water and nothing to eat, because I'm afraid we went to excess over the Christmas period, and mince pies and all the rest of it. I'm afraid things have been rained back severely and last time all he had was coffee that's possibly why he's not here today the cupboards
3: are bare (laughs) i'm off chocolate for lent Stephen, and it's not easy it is difficult especially when you have that little urge after my morning coffee here in rome i sit in my coffee shop and i have a tea very early in the morning then later in the morning i have a coffee and a cornetto they call a a croissant a cornetto and then I always have that urge for a little bit of milk chocolate to go with the coffee. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been doing it. And I was in Florence over the weekend with my girlfriend, Paula, and she came across this beautiful small chocolatier shop in the middle of Florence, and she bought some chocolate for herself. But I stayed strong and it will be all the sweeter come Easter Sunday when I get to, <laughs> to dive into all that chocolate. Very nice. Good. You mentioned Paula. how is she? Paula is great. Paula is from El Salvador. and mm. She's a journalist as well. And she covers the Vatican and Pope Francis like I do, but she does it for a big Spanish speaking television network, Telemundo. She works with an agency here that provide content for Telemundo and for lots of different networks. So when people see me and her out and about, they look at us and they think it's like Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> how, what she is doing with me is anyone's guess. Ah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. That's always a big question, isn't it? How on earth did she end up with someone like him? I can hear people muttering that all the time and have done for the last 46 years that I've been with Francis, but there we are. So anyway, good. Just keep us informed as to anything that might be happening, Cole.
3: (laughs) it It's been almost a year now. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary, but things are going great. It's a wonderful thing.
1: It is lovely, and it was a delight to meet her when you were across. When was Oh, it was for a wedding. Oh, what a my, coincidence. my sister's
3: wedding, yeah. yeah, you got to meet her. <laughs> and did she pass the test, Stephen? Oh,
1: very much. <laughs> I had seen her on Zoom before when we have been doing this sort of thing. And so it was lovely to meet her, and I wish you both all the very best. Oh, so, Colm, I think we've dredged back into your career and seen how lucky you've been to have... <laughs> but sheer determination and hard work i know and a particular skill in bringing very good personal stories to air i think i don't know i can't speak for everyone but for me anyway i always enjoy your personal stories that you can get the most out of people and we'll be talking about that in in part two but for now just finish up your warm water I will finish up my coffee and we will see each other after a short interval where I'll be talking to other people and playing some music. And then we should come back, Colm. And I want to hear all about what you've been doing, all about your trip to Ukraine and your trip back to Cork this week coming, in fact. That will say cheerio and thank you so much. Talk to you in a moment, Stephen. Thanks, Colm. Well, what interesting weather we've been having this last week. We've had snow in some parts of our diocese. We've had rain, strong winds. I hope you've managed to avoid it all so far and not had any problems. Here's Van Morrison. He's got no problems. He's on the bright side of the road. Music. You'll know the voice. You heard him having a coffee with me earlier.
0: Fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away.
1: Colin Flynn, thank you so much for joining me on this Sunday evening. Hey, it is great,
3: Stephen, to be with you just before I jump back to Ireland very soon. But yeah. it's great to be
1: talking to you from Rome to Ireland. Yeah, we'll come on to what you'll be doing tomorrow morning. But anyway, no, uh, what struck me was, I saw the video of you in Ukraine, I also saw you on the train journey, as you trekked across Ukraine, I don't know how long that Facebook piece that you did lasted for, but it seemed to last an age, and uh, very interesting, interviewing all the people, you were lucky to find people who spoke some English anyway. Where were you going when you were doing that? Yeah, what you're talking about is, I'm just back from a week-long reporting trip to
3: Ukraine and we went there to mark the two-year anniversary of the full-scale invasion of Russia and we went to a few different cities in the country, Lviv in the west, which is close to the border with Poland and then right into the capital, which is in the centre of the country, Kiev. But there's no internal flights in Ukraine at the moment because of the danger. You can't fly into the country, so we had to fly to Poland and then get someone to drive us to the border. And then we had an ambassador's car pick us up on the other side of the border and drive us to Lviv, the city close to the border. But then to get to the capital, the best option was to take the train. Now, this is an eight hour train journey overnight. You start at 11 p.m. at night from Lviv and it it twists and turns through the Ukrainian countryside throughout the middle of the night and it ends up at 7 a.m. in the capital. But you have a little bed in a compartment, but it's like going back in time. These are old Soviet trains and I've been on them before, but I just love them because (laughs) The machines themselves, these old trains that work hard through unbelievably harsh winters and the snow and everything, they're they're characters in themselves and I always think the stories that these trains could tell, if they could speak, the people who've sat in those carriages, we have a little compartment, you get a compartment with four beds and you could be, you don't know who you're going to be staying with and they're bunk beds. But people always get chatting in them. There's a little fold out table, a bottle of vodka comes out or whiskey or cognac. And I just thought of all the people who were coming into the country, all the people who were leaving the country on these trains, the good stories, the moments of joy, the chance meetings, the romantic meetings, the moments of sorrow, the sadness. I love those trains. But we had an eventful time. We met a Ukrainian Orthodox priest Mm. and his assistant and they had, a bottle of, they had a bottle of Jameson whiskey with them, uh-huh. enough. and this was all in, a, I put it up on Facebook, and they proceeded to have a sing-song with us. We were trying to get a good night's sleep because we were filming the next day, and, and me in my vanity, I was thinking, I have to look good, I can't look too tired on camera, but we were up half the night with these our new Ukrainian friends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is that the only way to get into Kiev? at the moment is it all the top people that's the only way they can do it by making this eight-hour journey from poland no you the journey from poland is even longer because you have to drive
3: from the border to the first city and that's where you get the train so the whole journey if you were going non-stop would be around 10 hours ukraine is a massive country one of the biggest countries actually i think it is the biggest landmass in europe but you can drive from Lviv into the capital but it will take just as much or maybe even longer so they advised us rather than renting a car and also driving on roads where the country is at war you don't know you're not familiar with the
1: roads the better option was to take the train yeah just my image when I imagined you going to Kiev. that to think of it's all ruins it's all violence yet I saw pictures of almost normal life going on. It, what is it like there when you get there? What did you think it would be like and and how were your expectations shattered when you got there? I've been a few times before since the war began, but
3: the mood had changed a lot since the first time I went there. When I first went, when the war had just kicked off, there was this sense from the people of fear, yes, but this enthusiasm for victory and a surety that they would have a fast victory over Russia, that Russia would surrender or they would be beaten, particularly because of the international community really rallying behind them and offering their support. But now two years of the slog of war, of the terror of war and of the sadness, because now all the people have seen the graveyards popping up everywhere. They've seen the people they knew in the town or their friends coming back from the front line, the ones who are lucky enough to make it back, missing arms, missing legs. So now the mood had changed from that enthusiasm for victory to an exhaustion and a sadness. You could feel it in the country. But you're right, when you go to certain cities that are really near the border to the west, they're regarded as quite safe because they're close to Poland They're further close to NATO. And so the missiles haven't been hitting there as much because if a missile went off target and crossed the border into Poland, then you'd have NATO involved. So the fighting has been reserved mainly to the east of the country, which is hundreds of kilometers away. So the people in the West on the surface, when you walk around the town, it's business as usual. But then it's when you look a bit closer, Stephen, you see the telltale signs of war, valuable and important structures covered by sandbags. You see the stained glass windows in the churches boarded up, that it's all girls. Everywhere you look, it's women and girls. Where are the men? They're either fighting, some have been fighting and have died, or the young men are avoiding conscription. So they're staying at home. Literally everywhere you look, it was just all mainly girls. And that's one of the big divisive and controversial points in the country now at the moment. When it comes to conscription, who should have to go and fight and who should be given a pass and allowed stay
1: at home? Yeah, it's a, a terrible situation, isn't it? And and of course they're appealing for more weaponry, more arms, more ammunition to fire back at the Russians. But because really... they're,
3: they're out manned and they're out weaponed. Yeah, It's hard to know the real figures because during war the governments, they get There's propaganda on both sides. They don't want to tell people the reality of it. They don't want to say, we've lost this many young Ukrainian soldiers. Oh, by the way, we need more. Can you sign up at your local office? They try and minimise the losses or they try and portray that they're reclaiming ground all the time and victory is theirs. But my friends who are there told me that on social media and on WhatsApp, there's rumours going around that hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian men have died so far. And in the Ukrainian army now at the moment, they reckon there's around 700,000 men. And in the Russian army, they say maybe somewhere in the region of 1.5 to 1.8 million. So they need more men in Ukraine if they want to match it man for man. At the moment, they're asking for another half a million young guys. But remember, at the start of the war, when there was that enthusiasm, the guys who were invigorated and wanted to fight who you didn't really have to coax, they went straight away uh, when it was really all over social media and you were portrayed as a hero to fight mm-hmm. for your country. So they went straight to the front lines. Now they're still there on the front lines or worse. And so now they need more men, but the other ones are so reluctant. They do not want to fight. And even when we hired, we, I brought a TV crew with me, but I hired a local cameraman as well. And we had a translator who was Ukrainian. My local cameraman, he was doing a PhD. I said, why are you doing a PhD in a subject that has no relevance to television or to camera work? And he said, really, I'm just doing it to avoid being conscripted because if you do a PhD, you don't have to. So he said, I'm not going to the classes. I've just signed up for it. So I have the paperwork. Our translator, her boyfriend, is in a band and she said he shouldn't have to go and fight because he's bringing music to people and he's doing concerts and that. But those same people wanted victory for their country. Now you can't have it both ways. You can't say I don't want to fight and my brother shouldn't fight and my boyfriend shouldn't fight and my neighbour shouldn't fight. But we still should send men to the front line. It's an elitist, classist thing as well because they think the bumpkins from the country, the uneducated country people, Well, what have they got going on? They can go and fight in the front line. We can use those guys. Mm -hmm. Those guys have already gone and now they need more. So now this is the big question in Ukraine and they're pushing through new legislation in parliament to widen the brackets and widen the scope of who can be conscripted. Professions that have been been exempt, they're now looking at including them. They're looking at bringing the age from 27 down to 25. And now there is a permanent ban on all men leaving the country until they sort this out and decide who fights and who gets a pass.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a terrible situation. And please God it will there'll be a fair and just settlement to both sides so that this carnage is all it is carnage can stop. And of course we've then got the rebuilding that has to be done. Homes have been destroyed, haven't they? Very sad column. So you moved from there and came back to Rome. I'm sure you must have been so relieved to get back safely.
3: Yeah, it was. When you're there, you're sometimes laser focused because you've a job to do. And maybe foolishly, or maybe it's a smart thing, you don't really think of the danger that you could be in because you're just so focused on, are we getting this story? Do we have these shots? Okay, I just interviewed this uh, soldier about his time in captivity in Russia. He mentioned this and this. That means for television, we need all the images of that. We b- we better shoot them afterwards. Oh, the person we're meant to meet tomorrow is trying. To, wants to change the time to the afternoon. That means our team have to contact the people in the afternoon. We were meant to film and move all that to the morning. It could be 20 kids in a classroom or something like that. So you're just always thinking of um, bringing back the story as best you can. And I think it's when you come back and you're in the edit suite and you're going through all the hours and hours of footage and you're thinking, whoa, that was, we were there. Yeah, we filmed this and the air raid alarm went off and we were close to where a missile had struck just a few days earlier, that there was a danger around us. But then again, Stephen, we go in for just a few days. The Ukrainians have been living there for two years. So what we experience is very minimal.
1: Yeah, oh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Colin, for, for bringing us the stories that we don't get to hear. As you say, the first casualty of war is the truth, isn't it? And certainly you don't know what to believe when you read it in the papers or when you see it on the screen. But thank you for shining a light on that terrible situation there. Having got back, you're about to leave Rome to fly into Cork, sunny Cork. And tell me, what are you going to be doing on Monday morning in Cork?
3: That's right. Monday morning, I'll be arriving into Cork because then on the uh, in the afternoon, it's a bit like at the start of this show, Stephen, when you needed someone to have the coffee with and say hello to, and Father Jerry wasn't available. <laughs> no one else was answering your phone. So you gave me a call down uh, on the Today Show on RT1. I, I guess no one is around. No one wants to do it. I'm not sure what's going on, but they called me, some of the guys in RT, and they said, hey, come back for a few days and present the Today Show with Dahi. So, tomorrow, Monday, and Tuesday, the show is on. I should know this, I'm presenting it, but it's at three or a half three, it starts, and it goes on for a few hours. And we have, there's Food in the program. They do cooking. I can't cook, so we'll see how that goes. There's a fashion segment. I know nothing about fashion. There's a, so it's going to be fun. Me and yeah. Dahi will be in the studio,
1: Very good.
3: Uh, live television across the nation for a few hours every day. Well done. Monday and Tuesday, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm on the road making a program for nationwide. It'll Excellent. be a busy week full of yeah
1: it sounds like you're just the right man to talk about fashion and to talk about cooking they've obviously done well in finding a substitute and a replacement ah dear do you have costume and all that or do you just turn up hopefully not looking like you're looking now but (laughs) you just
3: turn up Stephen they will cake so much makeup on me that I would be acceptable to the viewers of Ireland. Because if you put this on TV, they would be turning off in their droves yeah, across yeah, Ireland. Yeah. So we, they'll have wardrobe and they will they'll try and make me look presentable and they'll put cake the concrete on me. And they'll write the script i'll just have to read it from the teleprompter so what can go wrong this ship can't sink eh <laughs> i should be okay
1: i think <laughs> it's yeah great and where are you going for nationwide anywhere special
3: nationwide we are going to be recording in cork and in clare <gasps> i believe i haven't confirmed it all yet and in Meath. and it's a program about young irish influencers but when you think of influencers on the internet maybe you think of the beauty influencers but we're, i'm doing a program on Irish influencers, young people who are using their talents, creativity and their influence to promote Irish heritage and culture and folklore to a young audience abroad. So like a young guy who is making old Irish woodwork tables and chairs and he shows people how to do it, a girl who's promoting the Irish language on social media with loads of followers and then two famous young guys, brothers who do Irish dancing and are bringing it to a brand new audience. So it's a new take on the influencer thing.
1: Yeah. And It should be fun. Very good. If you're coming anywhere near anywhere of interest in Clare, but I guess it's just a flying visit, is it? You'll be there and out and filming and back in the car and away. That's what we normally do.
3: We get back in the car. The days are <laughs> packed with the film here and then it's on to the next county. And then on Saturday, I, I will fly back to Rome and then we're off to Munich in Germany wow. for a few days. Wow. And then from there to Canada. So it's going to be busy
1: as ever, Colum. We were fortunate that you answered your phone. You, that'll <laughs> teach you not to answer the phone again when you see it's me calling you. But uh, Colum, it's a real pleasure, and I'm so pleased you're back safely among us again. And even coming to Ireland, and we'll be glued, Francis and I will be sat glued to the television on Monday and Tuesday. It's not—I'll be honest—it's not a, honest, a programme I usually watch because I'm usually doing something. I'm busy. Mm. But yeah, it sounds great and well done. And and. Then and your busy schedule continues, but Colin, thank you so much.
3: Thank you, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bye, Stephen. Cheers, Thanks now. so much. Thanks ever Bye. so much. God bless. Come
0: fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away.
1: You may remember that a couple of weeks ago I mentioned to Father Jerry that after Covid we had produced 200 shows remotely from Kilrush and it set me off looking back over those 200 odd programmes to see what we had produced. And I was delighted to find this interview from the 28th of November 2021 with Christine Hochter, the first female lay prison chaplain in the Irish Prison Service. Let's hear it now you're tuned to beyond belief on this sunday evening and we're joined this evening by christine hoctor who is the chaplain at limerick prison christine good evening
4: good evening Stephen. thank you for inviting me onto your show
1: not at all it's it's a pleasure it's the first time i've spoken to a prison chaplain could you just tell me a little bit about the the prison system i think you're an employee of the prison system
4: that's correct, Stephen. First of all, I'll just explain that I'm a full-time prison chaplain here in Limerick Prison and there is a part-time chaplain here, Father Michael Kelleher from the Redemptorist Order. So there's one and a half of us here at the moment and I suppose just to explain that Limerick Prison is would be considered a small prison in that there's about 250 prisoners here. 230 are male to about 20 are female. So Limerick is one of about 12 prisons in the country. So, we would have 10 closed prisons in Ireland and that would be what you would consider a traditional prison system. And then we have two open prisons and they are based for people who would be very close to being released, maybe having done quite a number of years within a closed prison environment. So, they need to acclimatise and get used to living back in society again. So, they would need some time in an open prison, which is a little bit more relaxed. There's another prison in Portage Town itself, the Midlands. That would be one of the largest prisons in the country uh, with about 800 there. Right. So that's why Limerick is considered small with 250.
1: Sure. sure. But we yeah. will
4: be expanding because we have ongoing work at the moment. So by this time next year, I would be having a different conversation with you by saying we could be close to maybe 350 or 400 prisoners here because we're building on a new wing, a bed for the men and a new prison for the females. Limerick Prison is naturally part of the Diocese of Limerick, but I myself am from the Diocese of Killaloo. I come from North Tipperary and as part of prison chaplaincy, because Limerick covers a lot of men and women from the Munster area and the counties of Munster, I would liaise at times, not all the time, with different dioceses across Munster, especially when it comes to things such as First Communions, confirmations, or in the event of any funerals that are taking place, I would often be in contact with different parishes uh, across
1: Munster. And do you know what offences the prisoners have committed when you meet them?
4: I would have access to that information if I need to. Naturally, there would be a computer system that would contain everyone's information. Not everyone would have access to all information. And as chaplains, we would have access to quite a lot. Most times I don't look at what they're in for because I don't necessarily need to know that information. But sometimes I do need to know because if somebody has could pose to be maybe violent or a threat maybe to myself, it would be important that I would know that information before I meet the person. Yeah. But most people would be here for minor offences And as I said, maybe here for a few weeks, a a few months. But naturally, we would have people here for longer periods of time.
1: When you meet the prisoners, um, that's on a one-to-one basis, is it?
4: It depends. I suppose the the first thing to understand the role of prison chaplaincy is that, for example, we would consider ourselves a a presence within the prison, a Christ-like presence. So, for example, because of the structure, you would have governors who make important decisions. And then you would have officers who do the day-to-day um, running of the the entire prison. And naturally the teachers and the counsellors they do their roles. Chaplains are, we're the neutral, we're independent, and we're the, I suppose, the a friendly face um, amongst all the chaos that can happen within a prison environment. And our role would be to meet people mainly on committal and are within a few days of when they first come in because for some people it is their first experience for others it could be their 20th experience to their 50th experience but either way we try to be that friendly presence to see how they are is everything okay did they get a chance to make their phone call how can we help in some way now naturally because of COVID, the regime has changed slightly because anyone who does come in has to spend quite a number of days within quarantine to be tested to see if they have got COVID or not when they first come in. So because of that, at the moment with any new committal, we can only talk to them through the door. Until you know they've got the all clear, and then we can talk to them face to face, if they want to see us, of course. Because in some cases they they don't, they don't need us or want to talk to us. But most of the time, our role is to be a presence on the wings and landings. So we would make ourselves available and walk around and just to see how people are, just to see how they are, how are things because it's important that they gain our trust, that they know that we're here for them, because in most circumstances, why they may not need us every single day, but when there is a crisis in their own lives, whether it's because they've received bad news, or maybe they're worried about something themselves, or they haven't heard from family, um, that it's important that we as chaplains can link in with them. And because we have the right to access wings and landings, that we can call to them at any time and help them in whatever way we can. Because as chaplains, we are the link between the inside to the outside world and vice versa. So for example, many families will phone in to see how their son, their brother, their daughter, sister is doing, because you can imagine once they are committed into the prison system, it takes a few days before they are processed and are able to make that first phone call back home. And that is the reality of prison life, that you know you come to prison as a punishment, not for punishment. Your freedoms are taken away from you. and unfortunately for families on the outside it's it's very very difficult for the majority of families because they worry as which is completely understandable about their son their daughter or you know their partner in terms of are they okay have they eaten enough are they warm enough And simple things like that. Do they have anything, you know, to even to get a few cigarettes or little things like that to get them by? And it's very important that they're able to phone somebody because, as you can imagine, an officer is too busy and they wouldn't be able to take those calls. Whereas we can take those calls and we can listen to the family members because a lot of them can be very upset at times. And it's very hard because some families do the sentence along with their family member because they are sometimes isolated themselves in the community and maybe are ashamed or maybe feel that they carry some shame that the fact that a family member is doing some time in prison and it can be very lonely for a lot of families so we're there for them as well and that's why it's very important that anyone here within the walls can trust us and gain our trust and know that we're there for them
1: yeah are you also there for the prison officers do you support them as well
4: Yes, of course. It's very important because, you know, the reality of prison life is that we are a community and I sometimes describe it to people like that, again, because Limerick is quite small, that it's like a village because it's 250 here and then you'd have approximately 200 staff because you would have staff to do nights and staff to do the daytime and because of that i would see blimark prison like a village with a roof over it and we are a community and it's important that we get on with each other and it's important that they know again that we're there for them because Officers, governors, whoever they may be, again, teachers, everyone, especially for the last two years, everyone has had their own difficulties and struggles and worries about COVID and the normal things of life and juggling family life and everything like that. So it's important, again, that we link in with them and we're there. If a family member is ill, we obviously would ask and inquire. And if they want, we would obviously pray for a family member and we would share with them in terms of any joys that would happen. So staff members go on maternity leave. So like everyone else, you're excited about who is the new member of the community. And um, so, so yes, it's very important. And we work with officers all the time and we rely on them to look out for us as well as we do our daily work. So once they know that we're responsible, you know, in what we do, that we're not just wandering around the prison; that we take our own security seriously as well, and we abide by the rules. So sometimes I could ask to go over to a particular wing or landing, and they might just say, "Look, Christine, now is not a good time," and I accept that. That there must be something going on that I don't necessarily need to know about, but I respect the fact that now is not a good time to go over to that particular wing or landing, and I would respect that. I would. Consider consider myself a chaplain for Limerick Prison, not a chaplain for prisoners solely. We were all in this together.
1: Sure. And it's obviously a calling, uh, you know, it's a vocation for you. How, how did you decide? How, what's your journey? How did you become a prison chaplain?
4: Well, it's quite interesting, really. I sometimes laugh about it myself. I sometimes think that if I had gone to a psychic reader a few years ago and looked into a crystal ball and they told me I was going to be a prison chaplain, I would have looked for a refund <laughs> and asked for money back because I would have said that was never going to happen. It happened really by accident in some ways. But yet, I, when I look back in my life, I can see that there was obviously a pattern of different types of work I had been doing. My background would not necessarily traditionally be a theological background. Some of the other prison chaplains, there's about 22 of us all together, a lot would have a theological background. I would come from a sociological, criminological background, but I would have studied pastoral studies in Maynooth. And part of my placement, I requested to be in a prison. And this is, we we're going back many years ago when this happened. And it was very, it took a lot of effort to get into Pfield prison because it was not seen that a lay female would have access to a prison. So it took a lot of work. And there was myself and about two others, women as well, that we, we finally got our placements and we were delighted. So it gave a very good um, insight in terms of just understanding life for a prisoner. The, we used to visit the same prisoner every week for about six months and he never had any visits at all from any family member so he was completely on his own doing his sentence so he really welcomed the fact of being able to just talk to somebody and it just gave me an insight and I, I later went on to do other studies in the UK and I spent 13 years in the UK, and part of my work there between teaching and researching, I would have spent a lot of time in different prisons, ironically, in sex offender prisons within ordinary prisons across the UK as part of research. So it gave me an insight into that world, and I was always interested in the concept of justice and the concept of why do we punish, how do we punish, and what is the benefit of the way we punish at the moment in our current system and who benefits from it. And I would have also looked at the side of it uh, from a victim's point of view as well. So ironically, when I came back then to Ireland, I worked at Limerick in general for a few months and the position came up. They were looking for somebody as a locum for a few months and I applied and I said, well, I don't tick all the boxes, but I take enough. And I said, well, it's worthy of an interview. And I went for the interview, not thinking I would get it. And they said, oh, we will take you. And um, so I thought I was only going to be here for 12 weeks. And I'm here now almost five years. And in that process, I was here for a year and a half on my own as a locum. And then the post was advertised then um, as it was for all chaplains across the country and i applied and i was very lucky to be accepted for the role and as was father michael for the part-time role so it's lovely to have a chaplaincy team now because for a year and a half i was on my own which you know is naturally very difficult when especially being the first female lay chaplain in a predominantly male environment. It can be difficult at times, as Mm. you can imagine.
1: Well, Christine, thank you so much for giving up your time this evening to talk to us. You've given us a real insight into life behind the walls of Limerick Prison and prisons throughout the country, I'm sure. So um, just uh, a thought, a piece of music to end with. What would you like?
4: Well, I think the, the most appropriate one would be Amazing Grace, The reason being is because I know it it can be sung here a a number of times in the prison chapel by the men or by the women. And I suppose to hear them singing it is is, a very moving um, experience and it's lovely. Like there's something and the fact that the chapel is 200 years old like because you you would have heard prisoners in there during the famine times those that probably had to face execution they probably spent time in there and like you just think oh my god all those people like Mm. over 200 years that have been in there so yeah so that's why it's kind of appropriate and the fact that this is from the 1700s i feel like when it's being sung in the chapel i feel that There's 200 souls in there from the famine right through to the night before being executed. You know, that kind of feeling, you kind of feel that you're singing it for them as well. Kind of think, oh, the memories. And I also think it's appropriate because of the origins of the hymn or Mm -hmm. the song. That it was, it came from the 1700s by a man called John Newton. And he was involved in the slave trade and he was involved in bringing slaves over on ships. And he was involved in a shipping accident. That the the ship, during a storm, capsized. Uh, he almost drowned, and he had. I suppose, a a near death experience and looked to God for forgiveness and he repented and sought redemption and he saw a new way of looking at his life and he became a pastor in London and he got involved in actually abolishing the slave trade. So it was a full circle moment for him and I think it's just a very appropriate hymn, and it would be lovely, I think, for your listeners to hear it.
1: Very good. Well, thank you so much, Christine, and thank you for the insight you've given. It's obviously a calling and a vocation for you, and I do thank you for the work that you're doing on behalf of of society, really. It's a societal thing, isn't it? And uh, we do thank you, and here is Amazing Grace.
5: God is faithful to us, he loves us, watches over us and cares for us. We are partners with him. We break our promises to him when we refuse to love our brothers and sisters. We can show compassion for the poor, the oppressed, the suffering and those in pain. We can fast from selfishness and greed from fear, from self-doubt, from complacency, from apathy, from blaming others, from self-absorption, from old grudges, from judging, from criticism. Forgive us, Lord, for being deaf to the cries of the poor, blind to the voice of the homeless, indifferent to the voice of the immigrant, Help us to become the voice and advocate of those who suffer, to establish justice for all who are oppressed, to open the eyes of those who are blind to goodness and generosity, to free prisoners of greed and fear, to make God's spirit of love and peace felt everywhere. God gives us strength to face our problems. With God, We can see beauty and goodness wherever we look. With God, we find unconditional love that helps us to let go of fear and live in joy.
1: Was Sister Anne Crowley from Kilkee with her Lenten reflection, followed by the Discovery Singers with "Lead Me, Lord," and it brings us towards the end of tonight's Beyond Belief. My thanks go to Christine Hoxter for taking us beyond the walls of Limerick Prison and Colm Flynn for standing in for Father Jerry over our coffee and chat and for giving us that insight into the war in Ukraine. Look out for Column on the Today programme on RTE1 tomorrow afternoon starting at 3.30. Remember, you can listen again by going to the Clare FM website and clicking on the catch-up tab. And you can join Father Brendan Quinlivan for Sunday prayer at a quarter to eight next Sunday morning and Beyond Belief next Sunday evening at 9 p.m. we close let's just pause and hold all those in Israel, Palestine, Gaza and the people Column told us about in Ukraine. Let's hold them all in our hearts and pray for a fair and just solution to the conflict. I'm Stephen Fletcher and I thank you for being with me this evening and I wish you a joyful and peaceful week ahead. Do keep warm and dry. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Slán Agus Banach.